please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter, Luke chapter 6. I should have said chapter 6, and those of you who went to Luke, man, you are walking with the Lord. I wonder if we could do this. Uh, could you guys stand one more time? Could we read Luke chapter 6? We're going to read verses, just two verses, 22 and 23. It should come up um, behind me there. I wonder if we could read this together. I want to speak to you a second time about glory, the glory of God through suffering. And um, it is not, in a sense, a popular message, and especially in the first world. But there's such a, a, a truth here and victory here in the Lord. And um, so I just wondered if we could read this. This is not, in a sense, our text for the day, but the Lord has a way of summing up, summing up everything I'm about to say in the next 45 minutes in two sentences. So can we start? Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast your name out as evil for the son of man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Pause. That sounds, who does that? You know? Hopefully after today, we'll see something of truth and that is our response. It's not natural though. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. That's good company. Amen? Can we take a seat? I pray um, that this message will come across in the right heart and in the right spirit. I'm not quite sure how far we'll get. If I get too intense for you, just forgive me. And, uh, and, and bless me and, and hear from the Lord and what he's saying. But sometimes it's like the Lord puts a message in a person's heart. You know, uh, I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been Charles Spurgeon. He says, preachers have many sermons, but some few messages. There's a difference between a message that God puts in a person's heart and a sermon. And over the last couple months, the Lord has been putting this in my heart. And so sometimes it comes out with great exuberance, and I trust that we don't hear it the wrong way. This is, I said this last week, this is an unbalanced message. There is another side to this coin. I believe very much in breakthrough, in victory, in the authority that we have in Christ, that we are sons and daughters of the Most High, that we are adopted into His family. We have a new created spirit. We have authority, therefore, we don't have to be afraid of the devil. We actually are above principality and power, seated with Him at the right hand of God. All blessings come from heavenly places. And we have authority to transact here. We, we have this. It's done. And we preach that frequently and often. And yet, we have to be careful not to, because I've seen this um, in this generation, especially for those who hear a lot of that preaching. I mean, I grew up in a house, in an actual house with my, my mother's, my father's away preaching uh, again. And, um, but I grew up seeing and witnessing the power of God. And I loved Adriel's story this morning because I remember a day when we had a similar thing, sitting around the table, setting the table, and then praying because we didn't have that. And people knocked on the door with food. <laughs> so I just love the story. So I saw the power of God, the real, not, not the counterfeit, the real. Grew up with it, saw it, experienced it. We ministered many, many years to the youth in that way. And we were at a wedding this week with one of the young ladies in our youth who, see, when you've experienced the power of God, the real thing, you may even take a little detour in life. Like I had a little one, a big one. You may take a detour into all sorts of strange things, but no one will ever tell you that God is not real because you've tasted and seen of his goodness, of his power and of his authority. But... We need to be careful that if that's our only focus, what starts to happen is we start to hold God hostage based on what we think he should respond and how he thinks we should respond. He is still Yahweh. He is still El Shaddai, Jehovah, all-powerful. And he does not submit to you. There's that tension. Yeah? I love it in Daniel. Can we read quickly? Just as an example, Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego spoke to them saying, Is it true? I love how he couldn't believe it. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I've set up. Now, if you're ready at this time and hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, and the lyre, and sultry, in symphony with all kinds of music, talk about pomp and circumstance, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, this is my tone. Probably wasn't this, I little added effect. We have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, oh boy, the faith people don't like that. But if not, not if he's not able. If for some reason outside of my pay grade, he chooses not to. Well, then I'm going to be thrown into confusion. And Oh, wait, it doesn't say that. It says, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. We will not be moved because we will not hold God hostage according to what we think he should do. Yet, he is able. So, take a look at the book of Acts, the first four or five, actually the first eight chapters especially. You see the disciples. Jesus taught them something that is long forgotten in our day, and it's glory that comes through suffering. There, there is a glory of God that comes through suffering. Now, let me, I said this last week. Now, I'm going to re-preach, sorry, I'm itchy. I'm going to re-preach some of last week. Some of you were like, you said this last week. I just felt the Lord told me to re-preach some of it. We're going to go further into some, hopefully some personal and practical application. But you see in the first couple chapters, the Lord taught them something which is so strong that he, that they rejoiced when they suffered. It says they rejoiced, counting that they were counted worthy to suffer. They rejoiced in difficulty and persecutions and hardship. And I say this as a prophetic message again. Because of what I see coming. And that's not to be discouraged. That's actually to be encouraged. Because, see, even when the devil thinks he wins, he loses. Because where sin increases, grace increases all the more. Every time he wins, he shoots himself in the foot. And glory, sometimes when there's suffering, it actually brings the glory and the presence of the Lord in a way that transforms the thing you're suffering about. You see that all through the book of Acts. What did Jesus say in John chapter 15? He said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because, this is the reason. It's very simple. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Not people. Please understand, people are not our fight. They are actually the focus of God's commission and our affection to see their hearts change. But they are not our fight and they don't answer to us. We sow seeds. If they don't respond, that's between them and him. I can still love that person, even have fun with that person. <coughs> Sorry. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. I love this though. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. How did they keep Jesus' word? Some of them didn't care at all. Some of them gave everything that they had to follow. He said, it'll be the same with you. It'll be the same. So, the sufferings of Christ. And I said this, the sufferings of Christ does not include sickness. Can God use sickness? Yes. A absolutely. I don't want to go down that rabbit trail. I used to teach a healing course. God can use it. Jesus said the sick need a physician. I just don't believe he's the author of it because Jesus paid for it on the cross. And if the father puts on you what the son paid for, that's a divided kingdom. Can he use it? Absolutely. Will some people get sick and not get healed? Yes. Why? I don't know. But the sufferings of Christ, persecution, hardship. So 
Can we read again as we did last week? We're going to read an extensive portion of Scripture now. Can we go to 1 Peter chapter 2? Peter, as an older man, writes now, after going through what he went through in Acts, after not being willing, willing to suffer shame for the name, he denied Jesus three times. Then it says he wept bitterly. You know that? Right? You know, in Psalm 126, it actually points out, if you go read it carefully, it talks about um, re, uh, coming with sheaves, coming with the harvest. But after that, it says, uh, for those who sow in tears. It actually points, they will reap in joy. It points out that at times, we will cause, to we, there will be situations, circumstances, the states of a nation, persecution, hardship, slipsis is the Greek word, that will bring tears. But those tears in heaven go into the ground spiritually in a sense, and they are seeds, spiritual seeds. They penned that after they looked back in Psalm 126 and said, oh, if you sow in tears, you reap. That doesn't mean that God needs you to cry. That doesn't mean that God wants to give you hardship. Well, that's just the way it is. It's not like that. But there are seasons, there are times when this will be required. Jesus taught his disciples there is always a way. Sometimes it's this way, the way of suffering. It says this, Peter, 1 Peter 2, now as an older man, writing back to the church, he says, Servants, be submissive to your masters, now this is in the marketplace, with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults and you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, I used to, you know, I got away with so much as a teenager, just, I mean, so much. You know, I was good at just getting out of it and just finding a way. My mother will tell you, I mean, I got away with so much. Really, I did. But as soon as I was falsely accused, man, I was like, how, how dare they? I, what? How? Jesus was only falsely accused. Only. He was never rightly accused. Not one time. It took me a little while to learn that. Verse 21. Uh, let's, let's read verse 20 again. For what credit is it if you, when, when you're beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called. Hmm. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his footsteps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. That's Isaiah 53. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges justly, who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. So, the sufferings of Christ is a phrase that you see in multiple places in the New Testament, and unfortunately, it's often misunderstood. It's talking about persecution, hardship that comes to your door because of a choice, because of a righteous choice. I will not do that. I will not say that. I will not make that business deal, I will, whatever it is. And it brings something to your door, but there is a truth that Peter is trying to show because he lived it in the book of Acts, there's many, but there's two that we're going to look at quickly, that the sufferings of Christ have a way of revealing God. They have a way of bringing, of revealing the truth of the way, which is Jesus. They have a way of revealing God to a blinded heart and a shattered culture. And sometimes that is the only way. When they watch you, how you treat it, what you endure, and how you endure it, it does something to a hard heart. It does something in the spirit that begins to open the eyes to the truth. Instead of reacting and fighting and... Again, I said last week, it doesn't mean we should be a doormat. No, stand up with... Actually, this takes more courage. You don't let just be pushed over. You know, last week we had some politicians in the building and um, they came to me afterwards and their lives are literally... One of their lives are being threatened because they've done such a great job, job in dealing with trafficking, women, children, human trafficking, and exposed so many that the cartels are after them. 
and I preached that message last week, and they come to me and say, you have no idea what you said. Hmm. Yeah, don't be afraid. So he says, where do we live? Oh, the sufferings of Christ, they reveal God. They reveal his truth. And secondly, they release God's glory and God's power, which we'll hopefully explain quickly and then get onto some practical things. So let's look at that. The sufferings of Christ to reveal God's truth. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3, next, next chapter. It says this. And who is he? See, it's taken off like the sermon. Who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? In other words, if you walk in a good path, it's likely that harm won't come to you. We, we went over this last week. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats. In the Greek it says, do not fear their fear. I love that. Nor be troubled. That word is anxious. Psychologists are telling us now that over 70%, because of what's all the different things going on, no matter which side you're at, because of seven, over 70% of the United States right now are in a high place of anxiety, individuals. The Bible says this, when you should, even if you suffer for righteous snake, you are blessed, Righteousness, righteousness sake, you are blessed. Do not be afraid nor be anxious. How does that work? Well, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready to give a defense or an answer or a reason. That word is actually a doctrine. Oh, sorry, sorry a re- to, to everyone who asks you a reason, that word is doctrine. To give it a doctrine for the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if, the, if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for evil. Here's the, here's the truth. For Christ, what did it say earlier? He left an example for us to follow in this regard. Remember that? We just read it. What is the example? Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. Why? That he may bring us to God. When... We partake in the sufferings of Christ because of a stance, because of a choice, whether it's at the water cooler, in the marketplace, in your home, on the world stage. It has a way, it has a power to it that brings people to God that will not come to God any other way. Every time you see in the book of Acts, when they were threatened, harmed, beaten, they got to stand up and preach to those in authority. The council heard, the Jewish council heard three messages, two from Peter, one from Stephen. Because of this very truth. The just for the unjust. Why? That he may bring us to God. Jesus suffered for sin once. We don't suffer for sin. But in the proclamation and in this, and in the speaking forth of the truth of what Jesus did, it will sometimes bring suffering. Am I speaking to someone? Just, just that lady over there. It's you and me. We're in it. We're in it. It's good. 1 Peter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. That word mind is also purpose. For he who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Again, I said this last week. That doesn't mean you should go harm yourself. There are sects. I always don't like saying that word. S-E-C-T-S. There are sects of people that used to like bind themselves in clamps and metal things and cut themselves saying, this is how I'm done with sin. It's not that. It's saying when you suffer because of choosing God, In that process and afterwards, your perspective and your view of sin is very, very different. Because you've suffered for it. It's it's cost you something. You you just wouldn't even go down that path. You don't even, you're just like, I'm done with that. You have a different perspective to it. So he says this, For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh, in other words, in the body, for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, 
when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange. This is the reason. What did Jesus say? Because you are not of the world. They think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation. It starts like a little trickle. If you've ever dealt with an addict, I have. I was one. I've dealt with many. It starts like a little thing, and it just trickles. It becomes like a flood, as we all know. Speaking evil of you, the NIV says, they heap abuse upon you with their mouths. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Again, meaning they don't owe you an account. You forgive them and love them and bless them. Don't fight them. They're not your fight. The sufferings of Christ will also reveal God's glory. We're almost done with this. Then we're going to get to the application. Let me ask you this. Why does it seem that the sufferings of Christ, the, the, the partaker of the sufferings of Christ, the ongoing, the persecution, the hardship, the things that I think are coming to our door, why do they have a way in revealing the glory of God, in releasing the power of God? Is it because God's like, well, you know, that's what you want. You've got to pay for it. It costs. I say that because that's what I've heard many times. There's a cost. There's a pro- and there is. But it's not because God's up there going, well, if you want that, you know, hold on, let me get my whip. Do you really want it? Do you really want it? It's going to cost you. That is not in the Lord's heart. <laughs> but why? Because to choose him, many times, it's not a one single choice. It's a daily thing. Because to choose him, I take a step towards him. And I take a step towards him means I take a step away from the world. And that is the reason they will not like you. It's what Jesus said. It's actually holiness. Not holiness like in a legalistic sense. Not some plastic display of religious religiosity. No, not that. That actually brings more sin, just by the way. It does. But to step towards him is to step away from that. And that brings something to your life at times that is unpleasant. So the, the glory of God and the power of God, actual power, is released through suffering, not because it's God's requirement, It's because the glory of the Lord and the holiness of God are linked. Purity releases power. Not because you have to earn it. It just does. Jesus earned everything. Purity has a way of releasing the power of God. Not, I remember once when I, you know, 15 years ago when God did this. No, in a living, daily walking with God. And when a person starts to step towards the Lord in that way, they're stepping away from something else. It will bring ridicule, shame. You know, they will shame you, defame you. They will. Am I making sense? 1 Peter 4, let's read it really quickly. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, the refiner's fire. The fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some think it's strange. Sorry, as though some strange thing happened to you. I love that. I think it's funny. But rejoice to the extent, how's this? Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. He said that your rejoicing matched the extent of what you're suffering. We could go into that. We won't. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. How's this? If you are reproached, that's reviled or suffer or defamed for the sake of righteousness, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Some people would say that's only talking about when he comes back. It is partly talking about that, but it's also talking about now. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. The sufferings of Christ 
when we are partakers of that in really any measure, it starts to put upon us something of his spirit and something of his glory, which is his person, which I'll get into, that begins to change people even around you. Maybe not at first. Because first it changes you. So, but as I said, it's holiness. It's stepping away from the flood of a culture and into the kingdom of God in every choice. People say, I'm not so sure. Well, go ask Noah. Go ask Daniel. Go ask Joseph. Go ask John the Baptist. Go ask Paul what it was that brought them suffering. Personal application. Can we try and make sense of this? Yeah? You guys can say something. Can we say amen? Something. I mean, we're in this together, right? We really are. 1 Peter 3, verse 14 to 15. Personal application. What did he say? Do not be afraid of their threats. Do not fear their fear, nor be anxious, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That, as I said last week, that doesn't mean we sanctify God. He's sanctified. He's fine. It means set apart. Make a choice in here. I belong to Jesus Christ. That's it. <laughs> and I, because of that, I will not be anxious. Now, that's easy to say. I've said it. I was so arrogant when I got saved. I remember I said to the Lord, I'm, Lord, one year, we, I'll do it in one year. I'm going to get rid of all sin. I was telling Patty, this, all my sin in a year, and then let's change the world. It, it didn't work out. I almost died that year, you know. It just didn't work out. But we make a choice for the Lord. And then it can be difficult. Then it can be tough. But I've sanctified my heart, meaning I have set my heart aside. I will do this. And you know what I've discovered? That there's only really one thing that empowers that. That ongoing choice. It's not discipline. I've tried that. You all have. Hello? It's just me. A bunch of liars. No, I'm kidding. I was a joke. <laughs> it's not discipline, and it's not telling someone telling you to do it. It doesn't work. You grew up in church, you know that to be true. It doesn't work. It's hunger and zeal and love for God. That's it. There is no other way to empower a person to make that choice ongoingly except for when he, in his presence, has touched your heart. Nothing else will do it. Nothing else will empower that. Nothing. People say, give me a scripture. All right. John chapter 2. I don't think it's coming up behind me. I'm not sure. John chapter 2. Think about this. Jesus goes to the temple. Flipping tables. Not happy. It's flipping tables. The Holy Spirit, it says in John chapter 2, when the disciples saw him doing this, they remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Right? So the Holy Spirit, they are witnessing Jesus doing something called cleansing the temple. What is the house of God today? You. The church. The temple of God. Me and us. You and us. Individually, corporately. The house of the Lord. The house of God. The church. Jesus is cleansing. Holiness. Cleansing the temple. Why? Because of zeal. Zeal for your house. When we realize that when I'm zealous for God, when in those seasons where I just, Jesus, every, it's like not even hard. You, you know, he's been through those seasons. You just want to be with. All that's happening is actually we've realized that he is zealous, consumed for you. 
You ever think about that? Zeal for his house, you, consumes him. And we reflect that back to him. But when we recognize that, it's the hunger of God starts to build inside of me. And all of a sudden, I'm empowered to not go with this flood of dissipation. Because I love him and I don't want to betray him. I don't want to hurt him. I don't, because I love him, not because you shouldn't and you better not and discipline and eh, not because of that. There's no empowerment there. And that choice will bring difficulty. Think about that. The Holy Spirit, you know, he, he doesn't change, yeah? So he did that. He brought up this verse in the disciples' hearts. They're watching Jesus flip tables. And the Holy Spirit puts his finger on that verse. And it comes up in their heart. And they're like, oh, zeal for his house. Well, you know where that comes from? Psalm 69. And it's interesting what Psalm 69 says. What does it say? For I endure scorn for your sake. Ha! Suffering for the name of Jesus. I endure scorn for your sake and shame covers my face. I am like a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my own mother's children. For zeal for your house consumes me. And the insults of those who insult you fall on me. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. Those who sit at the gate mock me. I am the song of drunkards, but I pray to you, Lord, in the time of your favor, in your great love, God answer me with your sure salvation. <laughs> I will trust in him, but if not, I still will not bow. It's the only thing, you know, my friend Patty is here. I have great respect and admiration for her. I do. We were chatting Friday night. I told her a story. I believe I should tell it here. After I was saved, just a little while, it was my first, I would say, vision. It wasn't like eyes open in my head, but it was the first time that a vision had, like, overwhelmed me. It's like, I, I don't have time to go into that, but you, I just froze. And it's, it just overwhelmed me. And I saw, if you could imagine, just quickly with me, you know, like a laser curtain, like a red laser, but like a whole curtain laser. Who knows what I'm talking about? In a room about this size, with I don't know how many, 20, 30, 40, just laser curtains, one after the next. And I was standing on that side with the Lord. Okay. And I was standing on the one side with the Lord, and I'm looking at all these laser curtains. And who's ever seen uh, maybe a picture of the old Pilgrim's Progress? I saw myself with this massive burden on my back. Who's ever seen, have anyone read that old book? It's like a massive burden, but it was made up like a bunch of sand, you know, like sandbags together that had almost, they almost looked like one. But if you look closer, it was, they'd taken all these different shapes. Massive, massive thing on my back. And, and we started walking together, the Lord and I, and I walked through the first laser curtain like, okay. And, you know, a second or whatever, I can't remember the number. And then I hit one early on. And I was like, oh, okay. And the Lord said, oh, son, if you want to go through here, you have to take those, these ones off. And I said, okay. And I took a few off. And there were hard things, friends, choices, habits, whatever, little things. Took them off. Okay. And I could walk through again. And I was like, all right, let's go. And then as this vision carried on, I went forward. And then every once in a while, I'd get to one. And I couldn't go. And the Lord said to me, if you want to go forward, you need to take these things off. And I'll be honest with you. There's times when the Lord brings that back into my heart. And he says, son, I will love you here. That's what he said to me in the vision. We can stay here. If you, if you don't want to let him go, I'll love you here forever. I'll be with you here. I'll love you here. But Lord, I, I want to go there. Okay, yeah. Let that stuff go. I don't want to, God. When I was first saved, it was that short. But there's been times when I've literally cried and said, God, 
I don't want to put this down. And he said, that's fine. I'll be here with you here. But we can't go there. And the hunger and the zeal for him, you take them off. And it's not easy. But it's worth it. Make a choice. Secondly, prepare. Personal application, glory through suffering. It says, but sanctify the Lord in your hearts and be ready. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, arm yourselves. The security team is like, yep. Be ready, arm yourselves. It says, how? Well, it tells us. It says, be ready to explain everyone who asks you for reason. That word reason is actually the word doctrine. It's logos in the Greek, but it's actually translated doctrine there. Get ready to give people the why. Please hear me on this. To give people the why. Why won't you? How can you see it that way? How can you not vote for this? How can you, whatever it is. A better way to call it is values. Simply a way to call it is values. But you know that the Bible calls it doctrine. In other words, deep held beliefs, deep held values that are based on something that already has authority. If those values and opinions and things are based not on this, you may have them, but they won't bring the glory of God because they don't have His touch on them. But get ready to speak about it, to give an answer, to communicate it in the best way you know how. And let me say to you, there's some things coming where borrowed values won't work anymore. I like what that guy said. I watched that podcast. I watched that leader. I, I like what he said. When it's challenged, it has to be yours. It has to be yours. Otherwise, when the heat comes, mm-mm. that's okay. God will bless you, love you, he'll be with you. You know, the Bible talks about the doctrine of demons. Demons have a doctrine. You ever think about that? They have a belief system. It ain't a good one. But they will tell you that it is. Because the Bible says the devil comes as an angel of light. He dresses up all his stuff in beautiful animations, movies. He dresses it all up. We won't go down that rabbit hole. I'm going to skip over 2 Corinthians 10. Oh, man, I don't want to, being honest, but we will. When we are asked the reason why, Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 talks about a stronghold and tearing down imaginations and thoughts, and he talks about a stronghold. You know why he's writing to Corinth? Because in Corinth, there was a massive castle fortress that was overlooking the city. And he said, that is like a stronghold in your mind, in your spirit. It'll either be built by the enemy or by the Lord. We need to build strongholds of truth that are like little bombs that go off when we are asked. There's a truth, boom, because of this. And the Bible says in Ephesians 4, if you're mature, you speak the truth in love. Not react, well, you're not that. Doesn't help. I'm going to protest outside your house. Mm -mm. Not going to help. Not going to help that person. It's going to drive them away from you. You're there to win the heart, but stand with courage. Hello. So values that are, it's like a stronghold because it's built on something that has God on it. And you don't have to apologize for it. They may not like it. They may not understand it. That's okay. That's okay. You can still love them. You can even still go out with them. But unswayed. Jordan Peterson says this, I like him, one of the world's, I think, world's best clinical psychologists. He said, he's talking about now psychology, what it does to the soul. He says, when I say something that I know to be true and it causes me trouble, it will always be less trouble than if I had said or agreed to something that I know is not true. Perhaps it will be worse in the immediate, meaning if we speak the truth, but, the, but doing the opposite is hellishly dangerous to the soul. 
He then said this, it is a terrible long-term strategy in one's life to not speak the truth when we are asked or challenged. It damages us inconceivably more than we can imagine. Clinical psychologist. Last two more points real quick. You guys with me? Choose, prepare, and then keep eternity in your heart. This comes to the moment. Now you've got to speak. There's a challenge. You've got to say something. Well, let's look at 2 Corinthians 4 real, real quick. It says, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. We also believe and therefore speak. What you believe will be challenged. You must speak. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will raise us up. What is that actually saying? No matter what happens, even if you kill me, I win. You don't go with that attitude, but you go with that assurance in your heart. You hurt me, I love you. You stone me, sufferings of Christ, is, it works. I die, I'm with him. Only the Lord can take things of this fallen world and make it treasure. Only the Lord can do that. He says, we'll raise us up with Jesus and we'll present us with you. For all things are for your sakes. Think about Paul saying this to this church. That grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed strengthened day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. There it is again, suffering, glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. How does it say this? Our light affliction, which is for a moment. This was said by man, who experienced sleeplessness, imprisonments, tribulations, fasting, whippings, distresses, and most people would say death when he was stoned in Lystra and Derby. And it doesn't say, but I personally think he died and came, he came back and finished his sermon, actually. Imagine that. You stone him to death, he's like, I ain't done. Do you think about that? Five times the Bible says. This, he says, our light affliction. Man was beaten five times with 40 minus one stripes. That's 195 whippings. That's split skin and tear flesh. 195. I've often wondered what his, from the middle of his thigh at the back to the back of his head, what it looked like. Probably wasn't pleasant, offensive to look at. Probably one scar tissue. And he says something, a light affliction, what had he seen of God to call that light? What had he tasted of glory to say, oh, it doesn't compare, guys. Don't worry about, yeah, don't worry about that. Let me tell you about Jesus. See, the glory of the Lord. <laughs> Friends, it is not an anointing on a person. It's not a gift. That you have. It's not got anything to do with you. The glory of God is the majesty, the authority, the power of God unhinged that comes upon a society, a person, a group of people. No matter who you are, saved, unsaved, heathen, pagan, Christian, religious, you bite the dust. Glory of God. Sometimes before revival, there's sufferings. Why? But the glory is required to rest on a people, on a place, to arrest a nation, an area. If you've ever tasted of the glory, you'll know one thing. In that place, there are problems that you have. 
are no longer problems to you. Everything vanishes. Everything clears. They, someone's dying. Those things don't go away. But in there, nothing. Nothing. The church has been too long for the world to see someone that says, Lord, I'll do it. We'll take it so that the world will see the glory of God again. Too long. I don't believe there is hope for the United States apart from the glory of the Lord. I mean that with all my heart. That's why I'm preaching this today. The glory of God. Real. It's, it's not some power. It's power itself. It's not some taste. It's God. And what does it say? I like this. It's so encouraging. He says this. It's working for us. <laughs> what does he say? Let me find it. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us. You see that? For our affliction is working for us. You should say that to yourself sometimes. You having a bad day? Charles Spurgeon, I think it was Charles Spurgeon, he said it this way. He says, it's like a factory that switches on an eternity and work, works for you. In various manners and in varieties of treasures, which treasures will be yours forever where moth and rust, moth and rust don't destroy so now when I'm going through a bad day, I'm just like, yep, factory's on. It's working. Today is working hard. It's laying up treasures for me. It's working. Eternity in the heart. Let it color your thinking. Not just the statement. Let it color your decisions. I'm going to lose that. Oh, but my factory there turns on. I lose that deal, but man, up there. Factory's on. It's working. It's so encouraging. And God doesn't lie. It's working. Your affliction works for you. Only God can take things of a fallen world and switch them that work for you. You can't lose. <coughs> this is why, and I won't get down this trail, this is why complaining robs us of more than we know. Just, that's for free. I'm going to have to land this the last one I wanted to speak to was draw near to God. <laughs> draw near to God. Can I just read this text to you guys? You guys good? Two more minutes? Choose, prepare, put eternity into your heart often, 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 as often as you can. And then draw near to the Lord. You have to go to Him. Adriel said it. This happened. If they didn't go to him, maybe it would have still happened. I don't know. But I have found that God waits for us. He waited patiently for now 120 years. Go to him. He longs. I don't. <clears throat> when I walk in the door and my kids haven't seen me all day, I love seeing my, I just, I love it. Like hugging them and saying hello. Sometimes, you know, you don't like it when they're like, it's not, hi, dad. It's like you walk in the door and they're like, he said this. And you, and you're like, oh, okay. And you're like, hi, dad. Say, hi, dad. I love you, dad. You know, right? No parent likes that. We do it to him all the time. Something happens, we're like, okay. Jesus, I'll be okay. God, this is what's happening. Hi, dad. Draw near to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of... Count for yourself. How many times the word comfort is in here? The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. He's making a point, you think. Just as the sufferings of Christ, there it is. 
Just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that, you, that you, as you are sharers of our suffering, so also are you sharers of our comfort. That word comfort is the word paraklesos, parakleo. It comes from the word Holy Spirit, parakletos, the one who comes alongside, the one who draws near. It's talking about the presence of God. Watch this. Uh, Josh, we're going to end, so you might as well come here. The Father of all comfort, God, right? Affliction. So I go to Him in the presence of God. Changes you. You go to Him. Gives you perspective. Something. It encourages you. Strengthens you. Wait on the Lord. You shall renew your strength. We sang it. And the God of all comfort comforts me. Then what does it say? Comforts us. So that we will be able to comfort he puts pre- the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Presence. Hello. So that I may be able to comfort others. What's that called? Ministry. Hello? With the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. When a person, thank you, you can. Yeah, why don't you stay? Because I should end. Yeah, stand over there. Friends, when we understand this, we learn. Go to him. Don't run around. Go to him. Go to him. Go to him. Go to him first. And he gives you something. And it's not just spiritual ministry. It's sitting around a coffee table. It's sitting around the kitchen table. It's at the water cooler. Something is coming out of someone. And you're like... Let me talk to you for a while. And the comfort with which you received, you are able to put that comfort on them. Freely have received, freely give. (coughs) Hello. There are times when you will need to do this alone. (coughs) Sorry, I swallowed something wrong. And times where you shouldn't do it alone. You need one another. There is so much friendly fire in the church of the Lord that people can't stand for truth because the church will cancel them. It needs to stop. The world is too divided for a weak church. Amen? Amen. Bless you.